Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy taylor Cavaz. I would like to start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And as this podcast is dedicated to the wisdom and knowledge of motherhood, I would like to acknowledge the mothers of this land, the elders, their wisdom, their knowing and my own elders and teachers. Welcome back, mummers. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Anna Cusack, author of Mama, You're Not Broken, who's preparing for her second time of motherhood, or as she described it to me, her second matrescence and her second inner split. I really wanted to have this conversation on the podcast because what it brings to light is not only how each and every experience of pregnancy and birth, no matter how the birth ends up, is a new beginning, a new identity. You are never going to be the same again. But also, as you hear in the conversation with Anna, just how much we hold as women and as mothers how when we become a mother, we also take on this mother load of responsibility, the preparation, the awareness, the responsibilities, and how that can feel and how we can still make sure that there's space for ourselves to prepare for the changes that are coming. So whether you're preparing for your second baby, third, fourth, you've finished having your babies, but you're here to continue to understand and learn about matrescence, this conversation is really beautiful, in particular because I'm speaking to Anna as she's in the thick of it. She's not on the other side yet with clear ideas and understandings of what helped. She's curious. She's in the beautiful space of waiting. And I think we need to hear examples of that in this podcast just as much as we need to hear examples of someone who's gone through it and found the answers. I know you're going to get so much out of this one. Anna, welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm so grateful we are finally here. I know. Hello, Amy. So good to speak with you. You are a voice I love to hear in this space, your work and your book, Mama, You're Not Broken. The way that you talk about motherhood has always seemed to me incredibly generous and vulnerable. And so when you spoke to me and reached out to me and spoke to me about your experience of preparing for motherhood a second time round, and what you are reflecting on and seeing within yourself. I really wanted to invite you into this space and have this conversation. So thank you for doing that and for for what you contribute. 
Thank you. And and I think vulnerable is the right word. I'm actually feeling a little nervous and raw to have this conversation really. So we'll see which direction it goes. Yeah. So why don't we start with where you are at in your matrescence journey, the experience? Absolutely. So my first child, my daughter, is getting near on three and a half now. I am one of the few people who was lucky enough to have a working understanding of matrescence and that identity shift that happens and the fourth trimester and postnatal depletion and all of those sorts of things before I actually became a mother. I was working in allied health and had quite a prolonged fertility journey as well. And so I'd done a fair bit of reading and and research and then my daughter came relatively late into the pregnancy and so I had a lot of maternity leave time to really read and figure out what was going to happen which in retrospect I'm really grateful for because she has been a very sparkly kind of child to date Um, Mm. always always, always, whenever the guidebooks or whatever would say, at the moment your child will be taking four naps, she'd be on two or three. Whenever it would say your child will soon be dropping to one nap, she'd be finished having day sleeps altogether. We had the, you know, quite an intense breastfeeding experience and that extended right through until I was around nine weeks pregnant this time. And, you know, parenting through a pandemic and all of those sorts of things. And I think I really did or I have dived deeply into matrescence round one. But I feel like I'm only kind of just coming out of the woods now. And I'm at that point of going, what am I doing starting all this again? <laughs> um a lot of people that I hear talking about matrescence are having the conversation kind of like you when you found the whole concept after you'd finished having your children. And I do feel grateful that I knew it to, a, you know, at least in a theoretical sense from the start. But, yeah, preparing to be cracked open all over again when I feel like I've only just kind of put this version of me back together is unnerving I love this so much because so often in when I'm interviewed or when I'm training or coaching the you know the question is does matrescence end and do you have a different matrescence experience with each child and of course the answer is yes but to hone in on that particular experience of as you said how unnerving it is to have at three and a half you've really in a lot of ways, come up for air from those first intensive few years, I imagine. There is this sense of, I kind of know what I'm doing, but, you know, even though she's a very sparkly child and I love the way you describe her, there would have been a sense of identity coming back and now preparing to go back into it, knowing what really is coming this time. Yeah, yeah. There's this idea that has been floated with me a number of times where nature 
gives you an easier child first so that it tricks you into having a second one or tricks you into having subsequent ones. And I think that idea is partly like terrifying to me because I know how difficult she's been. And I know that at seven months pregnant, I still slept last night in her king single bed because she was awake twice before 10 p.m. And I could see that it just, it wasn't going to happen. She wasn't going to sleep unless I was in with her. And yeah, it's, it has been a really intensive period and I, you know, I support others in their postpartum planning. I'm a postpartum doula. And so I know in the practical sense, the steps to be getting ready and, and to be taking. And yet the, yeah, the emotional side of it is still bringing me new things to my awareness to work on, things that I thought that I had perhaps come through or stories about myself or from my, you know, we all inherit our family histories in some way, thoughts of, of what I had, yeah, bits that are coming up again, but I thought, oh, I've ticked that box. I've done that bit. <laughs> and now we're yeah. almost not quite back to square one because there is that confidence and feeling the rapport with her and all of those things. But I can see the ways that the need that she will have of me will not necessarily lessen because I have a second child. And in some ways they're likely to increase. I can see the ways that she's engaging in a lot of regression type play specifically with me at the moment. So she wants me to wrap her up in a blanket like a swaddle and carry her around. And that's hard when you're third trimester. She wants me to do all of the steps to help her to use a potty Whereas for everybody else, she is happy to use the big toilet and to do all of the steps, including her clothing and wiping and flushing and everything else herself. You know, she's she wants to be my baby and and I'm going to have the two. So, yeah. This is it. And that's why you called it the second in a split, why this podcast is called that, because it really is another splitting of yourself, of who you used to be as mm-hmm. a mother of one, and who you are becoming as a mother of two. And there is a grieving process there of no longer being able to just give yourself to her. And there is a letting go of this season where it was just the two of you. I remember this so specifically. And I will just add that my I didn't get the easy child first no. either. So <laughs> I definitely got the easy child second. So let's just hope that that's on its way for you. Fingers crossed. Um, and then the third is just a whole new ball game. But um, <laughs> but I remember, and actually I very specifically remember my sister talking about this as she was preparing for the birth of her second and how much she was grieving this very unique time of just her and her first mm. and really allowing herself to grieve that to have those final moments of the final play date of just the two of you and the final moments of that special bath and all of that. And I think that's what understanding matrescence and this new inner split that you're feeling allows us is it gives us the awareness of, oh, I'm feeling this because I can feel the endings and the beginnings here. And so can your daughter, obviously. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to add an extra layer onto that grieving I had the vision of all of those special times together 
And I remember taking a photo sometime earlier in the year when we had been at a playground together. It was a beautiful day. We went into the cafe next door and got her baby Chino and got some food to share. And I took a picture of it. And I, at the time I thought, oh, I'm going to post this somewhere with a little caption, lunch dates with my girl. And pretty much the week after that, we had our first virus of the year. And since that time, so we first got sick when I was about six weeks pregnant. And since that time, we have had eight viruses. So we've been pretty much two weeks on, two weeks off, completely flattened. And the special time that I thought we were going to have, that hasn't happened either. So it's almost felt like I was just about to get into this summer season of matrescence where I could get out and enjoy everything with her. And I'm very fortunate that I usually stay quite well during, during my pregnancy. I had some nausea in the first trimester, but all in all, my body seems to cope with it quite well. And so I had a vision of what this time would be. I thought we would be going swimming and enjoying time with our friends because she's finally good in the car to travel and all of that's just been wiped out and instead I've been parenting horizontally and feeling atrocious and she's cranky because she's contagious and she can't get out but is still just as energetic as ever and it's not it's really not been the vision that I had for this time and so it's almost the double grieving of like I am grieving this special time with you and I know that there's not going to be a chance to to get it just us again as easily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those expectations of motherhood, the expectation of it's going to look one way and it goes the other every single time, isn't it? It's just, it's so interesting how attached we become to the vision in our mind. I'm sure many of the listeners will have heard me use this quote before because it is one of my favourite, but many, many years ago I interviewed the phenomenal author Caroline Mace mm. and she said to me in the interview, most of our suffering comes from our fantasies. And I was like, what do you mean by that? you know, not because I didn't understand it, but because it was the journalist, you know, like, tell me more, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, we have this running fantasy in our mind, not fantasy as in like the white knight comes in and sweeps us off and we end up like a Kardashian, but although some of us may have that thought, but more the fantasy of those final moments with our only child before our new baby arrives, the fantasy of how this new baby will just slip right into our family and the fantasy of what it will be like to juggle a new business and motherhood. And we hold so many of these visions and hopes and dreams of what we want this to be like. And I said to her, but how do we balance the all of the talk of manifestation and having these beautiful intentions and, and putting out to the universe what we want, but not be so attached to it that it causes us suffering when it doesn't happen. And that was when this idea of holding it lightly that she talked to me about, like mm. holding the vision of what you want it to be lightly, but also know that the very 
the very nature of matrescence, of motherhood, is that it is so unpredictable yeah. and it is so unexpected and there are viruses and pandemics and and early babies and late babies and all those things and we have to hold it lightly. Yeah, that feels accurate for me. I have been working through this concept of fantasy around the vision that I hold for my my birth upcoming as well. So I had my first daughter at home. The plan is also to have this baby at home. But I had I had this vision of really normalizing birth and having her by the birth pool or in the birth pool with me and how it was going to be this great family affair and I got the picture books and I've been watching the birth videos and all of these things and within a very short space of time she and I both sort of came to the conclusion where I was watching videos and looking at the children surrounding the the mother who was still essentially like caring for them and talking them through the process and thinking how annoying that would be for me and her seemingly really (laughs) enjoying watching this video and then getting to the end and she said, I think I'll go to my grandparents when your baby comes out. I was like, yeah, okay, well, we've both decided that. That's fine. Mm. And I'd actually, I'd booked a birth photographer because I thought, you know, this is the moment that we're going to become this family of four and... It's just going to be magical to have that captured. And as soon as my older child wasn't going to be in that picture, I didn't want the birth photographer anymore. I was just going, oh, I didn't actually want to capture my birth. I wanted to capture this this moment of the four of us being together for the first time. But that's not what that's going to look like. And so, yeah, I ended up, I ended up just cancelling my my booking for that and forfeiting my deposit because it was kind of I realized that that wasn't it and I realized that means an additional support person for her if she needs to go somewhere like to a different room or anything like that and so suddenly I'm getting these more and more people involved and I just I just want birth to be about me and my zone and really as hands-off as possible I don't need a big audience but this is like that is the fantasy that I'd unknowingly worked myself up to. So I've been stripping yes. that away in terms of the birth. And I've also been working through in regards to my postpartum, the idea of particularly around the idea of what support the two of us will need. Because I think when there are, we do have local grandparents, which is a godsend. It's wonderful. But the first thought to a lot of people when there is an older child is I'll take the older child so you can just you can just have time with the baby. But I think this time around probably what I'm going to need to help her and to help myself be on the level is I actually will need someone else to have the baby when the baby's okay with that so that I can have the connection time with the big one because otherwise she's going to punish me <laughs> exactly as what happens if I don't pick her up from kindy until two hours later than what she expects, I pay for that for days. You know, she knows. <laughs> These are our sparkly daughters. Oh, yeah. Yes, sassy. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's, 
identifying when there is a fantasy and pulling that apart and the acceptance and and there is grieving and at times it can feel lonely because not everybody is on the same page of having an awareness of some of this stuff and and also kind of related to the fantasy where we've projected something is this thing that I've noticed about having a feeling come to me that this might sound a bit weird but may not actually be mine so I've just been reading um, there's a wonderful book by Mark Wallen called It Didn't Start With You about how our feelings and our fears can be passed through generations unknowingly and I just had this massive feeling of dread the other day like I'm going to be all alone. I'm not going to cope. I'm going to struggle. And I went back through the generations of like what was happening for my family at the time that their second baby arrived. And at that point, there was sort of like, you know, major things happening. And I'm going, oh, I haven't had any issues with anxiety this pregnancy until now. It's not my reality. I am going to have a partner around. I am going to have my parents around. There are multiple other people that I can call on why is this overwhelming feeling of dread isolation aloneness coming now it was this real visceral sensation and sinking feeling of just like I can't do this this is a terrible idea I'm going to be completely alone so yeah it's unpacking the fantasy and it's also unpacking the bits that don't necessarily belong to me And then the fears that do belong to me, which, as I said before, are surprisingly some of the same things that came up for the first time that I thought I'd dealt with. But surprise, they're back. And what I'm really hearing you say is that there is a level of curiosity to this Mm. experience that I would think is part and parcel with the understanding of matrescence and what you're about to step into there is this curiosity of who am I doing this for and did I want those photos for me is that the right thing for us whereas so often when we're going into that first time motherhood especially if we're not aware of matrescence and what's actually happening within us we get caught up in that and this fantasy is not necessarily ours as you said it's not ours it's our cultural mm. fantasy it's what we see on instagram it's the way our friends have birthed and so our sister had a perfect birth so i need to have a perfect birth all of the things that come with it but what you're walking into at this time around with this inner split for a second time around this new identity that you're getting ready to birth along with this new baby is this realization that on the other side of this, it's going to be different again. Yeah. And that's what I loved about how you said of having time with your daughter this time, instead of necessarily someone having time with her so you can have time with the baby, is because she's going to change through this too. So right. You know, all of your identities, everybody around us changes with each birth. Your grandparents are now grandparents of two, you know, it's so powerful to bring this lens of matrescence to the whole experience of our child's experience, of our partner's experience, of our parents' experience, isn't it? And to really look at, it's okay, we're all going through this, we're all changing, we all don't know what this looks like, but we'll figure it out. Mm. And I think in a way I can start to sense that 
feeling of shifting identity and perhaps responsibility in my partner to an extent as well. He's not verbalising it in that way, but I can tell that there are bits that he's kind of thinking ahead to and potentially nervous about that he wasn't first time because it is going to be to a point where there's there's one each. It's not like we can just sub out for a while. Yeah. I think with partners also, uh, depending on how much birth preparation you did, I think even the best prenatal classes in a hospital rarely prepare the partner for the reality yeah, of what's coming, no. rarely. And I know with my husband at the time, uh, the first birth was actually a very traumatic experience for him, mm. very traumatic. He was quite scared when things weren't going well. Um, I tell this story, it sounds funny, but this is the reality of what it was like in the birth suite. If you'll allow me to tell this story for a moment so we can have a little giggle. I was just in the depths of pain and I was terrified and on all fours and it wasn't going well at all. And they needed waiting for the epidural to come in so they could start figuring out how to get her out in another way. And as I was waiting for the epidural, I, it was in between contractions and in between contractions I'm just sort of, you know, head on the ball, moaning and groaning and my husband's trying to talk to me, Amy, 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 and I'm not answering him and he's so scared. He was so scared that I wasn't okay. There was blood everywhere. It was a really scary moment. He was so scared that I wasn't okay that he turned to my beautiful midwife, Kate, and said, oh, my God, I think she's lost her hearing. <laughs> oh, I think she's gone deaf. I don't think she, I know. And Kate's like, no, no, she just she just can't answer you right now. But I bring up this story because I remember going into the second birth. My husband was terrified. Yeah. He actually really encouraged me to have cesarean. He was really scared of what he'd seen, how out of control he felt and in the following months how much it nearly broke me and so as we step into this second round of parenting I think we are really especially as the women the mothers the birth givers we're very aware of what everyone else around us is going to be feeling too how is our first child going to react how is our partner feeling about preparing what do I need to do to make this a smoother process like I think we need to acknowledge the space holder role we play within our family as we step into this we're not only going through this for ourselves but we're preparing and checking in with everyone around us as well because that's what we do yeah yeah it's so interesting I can see how that's playing out in a more uh, practical sense for us this time around so as I said earlier I had a wonderful a wonderful birth with my first great physiologic birth and we had continuity of care midwifery for that as well so he felt and and I had a doula friend as well who came to assist so she yeah there was always someone who was able to be there for him and and yeah neither of us are carrying fear around birth into the birth which I think is a very unusual position in our society to be honest yeah like I was asking the midwife the next day so next time if I did this if I did this and she was like oh you're already thinking about next time you obviously had a good time then I loved it it was wonderful 
And he's not concerned either. He's like, oh, I better check the birth pool doesn't have any holes in it. And that's about as much as our like really having to having to get into that conversation is. So I am making, I've made a birth plan draft so far. And it does have some things that are a bit different this time around because I know much more. I've really dived into the world of birth and pregnancy and postpartum since then and learnt a lot that will change some of my preferences, particularly around if we do have to transfer during or after labour to hospital for any reason. But what I'm seeing is, is in the practical sense, me thinking ahead and going, okay, so we're going to put the capsule into the car from this point in time so that our big one can get used to getting into the car around it and see where the baby's going to be and then it won't be as weird when the baby's in it too. And thinking about we all sleep in one main bedroom at the moment and we're just talking about, okay, so I feel like it, uh, I, yeah, I can see him going, it's, it's not going to work. We better transition her to her own room and starting to get flustered about it. And we just have this conversation and talk it through and going, actually, I think that will really feel like rejection and replacement to her if we try and do that. And she's still probably going to prefer to have someone sleeping close to her. So we're instead looking at getting a larger size mattress into a room that her toys and some clothes and stuff are currently in and having that be a space that she can go to with her dad if she feels that the baby's being too noisy and keeping her awake. So then it's her choice rather than, nope, the baby's here now, you're out. Because how horrible would that feel? You're not my baby yeah. anymore. You're, you're out of here. So trying to – and try, that's also why I've, I've done kind of the change table and things ahead of time, which we don't use for her but just so that it's visible and there and she can see and we can play that she's the baby and I can pretend change her nappy on it and all of these things. And a lot of the early part of my pregnancy has really felt like preparing her and not preparing myself. And that's where it's getting to this pointy end now that I'm going, where is the time? Where is the space to do that? Because, because she has low sleep needs and I'm in my third trimester, the amount of sleep we need either matches up or she needs less than me, which means I'm not getting my full quota anyway. So where is where is the space to dig into all of this stuff? And I think the only answer is in carving it out. And so I am fortunate in that I am my own employer at this point and I've really restricted my bookable available hours to give myself a bit of respite because also with all these viruses I haven't been making it back up to feeling as strong as the time before because we just get kneecapped and back down with another one so yeah, yeah. this is this is another version of the mother load you know this is what this is another version, and for those that have just happened to land on this podcast episode as the first one, you know, the mother load is that even in an inc incredibly balanced and equal partnership, the mother tends to carry the load of so much of the invisible work of mothering or parenting, often unconsciously to the other parent. You know, it's not something that's necessarily a 1950s problem within a marriage. It's just 
what I hear you saying is, you know, let's put the capsule in now. Let's think about this. Maybe we could have the bed over there. And maybe if I do this, it's this mother load of preparation that again, it just makes me want to shout from the rooftop, God, we're amazing. Like, God, we're amazing what we're doing. You're not only growing a human being, you are consciously preparing yourself for that new role of mother. You're consciously preparing your daughter. You're consciously parenting with your partner to prepare her, but to prepare him and thinking about all the different things. And and you're preparing for the birth. You're watching the videos. You're also attending to your own clients. Like, no matter what, whoever's listening, no matter what stage we're in, can we just take a moment and just recognize how goddamn amazing we are and everything we do every day? It's just amazing, Anna. Yeah, when you spell it out like that, it does sound like a lot. And I would just like <laughs> I'm glad you can see it. <laughs> I would like to say to anybody who's listening, I am also spending a lot of time lying down. There is a good whack of time every day where I set her up with a screen for probably an hour and a half in the afternoon and I make myself sit or lay next to her and read or close my eyes and ensure Mm -hmm. that I am not doing anything for anyone else during that time. I am not unstacking the dishwasher that needs doing. I'm not hanging the laundry. I'm not preparing the dinner, even though it probably would help for later on because I need to rest. So... Yes, there is stuff going on, but I think, I think, yeah, if we can protect some rest time as well, then that's essential. And you don't need to be pregnant for that either. There are hard patches right through, right through toddlerhood and early motherhood. And I can only assume that that will continue, but just change shape and form as the kids get older. So I promise you with a nearly 15-year-old, my afternoon naps are still sacred. To deal with the changing identity of being the woman that I am. So finally, finally, three and a half years after your first inner split, coming into this the second time round, what will you most remind yourself of in the coming months? I'd say just that I'm worthy of all of the support that I feel that I need or want of all of the honouring that it is a lot and that just because society is not necessarily revering of mothers that that doesn't mean that that's how my personal path this time has to be and to be honest it wasn't the first time either but there can be this feeling of like, oh, it's, it's subsequent children. She's got it covered now. She knows what she's doing. And that's not the case. My support needs are higher this time around than first time. And, and also one thing that's been a topic of conversation and thought for me recently is around the guilt that comes with not being able to attend to the, either the first child as much as before or to the second child as much as the first child got. And really sitting with that, it's not necessarily my job to keep my children happy all the time, but I can be with them in their feelings of frustration and impatience, and that that is actually probably more useful to their long-term development than making the sandwich exactly right then. So, They're the two things that I'm trying to 
use as my anchor points to remind myself that yes, I will be okay, as scary as this feels. That's it, yeah. Wow, well, holding all of the strength and space and love for you to step into this next experience of matrescence. I'm really looking forward to hearing how it unfolds because as you know, these children have a way of bringing us exactly what we need to yeah. know. As Jane Hardwick Collins says, I love this quote from her, every pregnancy, every pregnancy results in a birth for sure. and brings to the mother what she most needs to know for her next yeah. season. So whatever is coming is exactly what you need to know. Good luck, beautiful. You, you have the whole Mamarizing community holding space and for everyone else who's listening and preparing for second, third, fourth babies. And in that experience of going through this again and yet completely different and new, holding space for all of you as well. Thanks, Amy. Thanks Anna. As I said at the very start of this interview, I really loved this podcast because so often I speak to women on the other side who have experienced matrescence, who have experienced the massive identity shifts, the relationship shifts, the career shifts. They've found matrescence. They've done to some extent the healing and they're now ready to share. I think it's important in this space on this podcast to also have the conversations that show what it looks like to be in the middle of it, to be curious and open, but unsure of what's coming because that's the gift of motherhood and matrescence. We have no idea what is going to be birthed with this. Maybe a new career, maybe a new identity that is all about something you never even thought about before, a new way of viewing the world, a new you. You can see Anna's work and get a copy of her book at her website, annacusack.com.au, and everything else is in the show notes. If you know a mama who's preparing for second, third, or fourth matrescence, please send her this podcast. This is how we share this message far and wide. Until next week, Satnam. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.